0: Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this episode, my guest is the World Fantasy Award winner and British Fantasy Award winner, G.V. Anderson. Now, G.V., or Gemma, is one of those annoying high achievers that won awards with her first short story, which she sold to Strange Horizons magazine. Okay, it was her first short story sold, but it was like her fourth short story she'd ever fully written. You know, annoying. However, she's also really good and all kinds of lovely when you meet her, so forgiven. Well, I I forgave her because I'm a bigger person than most of you. Also, I don't write anything, so I don't have any skin in the game. But beyond that, I just like reading her stuff. And when you go on her website, there's a whole list of the publications she's had her short stories published in. And when you read them, you get a real sense of her talent because it's titles like the best horror of the year. The Year's Best Fantasy and Horror, The Year's Best Dark Fantasy and Horror, Nebula Awards Showcase, Best of British Science Fiction, and little websites like Tor.com. She ain't shit, basically. However, I appreciate short story writers aren't really household names, so although you may not have heard of G.V. Anderson, I promise you she's well worth your time, and this is an interview you really want to listen to. Now, Gemma was going to be our first guest this season, but genuinely, I got too excited chatting to her on Zoom, I completely forgot to record it. Whole interview gone, I was mortified, and it was late in the evening, we did it like 8 till 10, and so it was just too late to do anything about it, however, Gemma is lovely as I said, and amazingly generous with her time, and agreed to be re-interviewed, so Without too much groveling, I managed to get her back and we recorded what you're about to listen to. I still can't believe she did that. I'm really thankful, Gemma. Thank you. But I just need to establish that this is our second run through. Also, extra credit to Gemma for not referencing that throughout the entire interview that she'd answered these questions before. And the only reason I'm telling you is, one, it's, it, it's funny. You've got to appreciate it. And two, I sound really well-researched on this interview. And it's bullshit she just told me like weeks earlier so it's just you know i'm not a journalist i just got told and then i interviewed her based on what she told me so that's it that's that's the disclaimer i wanted to give for this one it's a really lovely interview Gemma's writing her debut novel and i just felt it was really interesting someone who's had success working on their debut how's that going how their writing process so if you write short stories she's a person worth listening to. If you're writing a debut novel, she's a person worth listening to. And if you just like reading excellent writing, she's a person worth listening to. So you're about to listen to her. That's all the preamble. Here's my chat with Gemma straight after this jingle. Hello, and this week I'm very pleased to say my guest is G.V. Anderson. Gemma, hello. How are you?
1: Hi, Tom. I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. And my opening question, as I always like to say, is what are we drinking?
1: It's strong tea, no sugar, very large mug.
0: I have gone for the large mug, so I am joining you with with, (laughs) uh, uh, an enormous strong tea with milk no sugar and yep. it's quite late in the evening for me so this might see how it affects my sleep but uh, maybe it should it, have been
1: a decaf tea
0: that's that's this devil tea that that's all right up there with Earl the Grey it's just it's not it's not eligible as a tea and can you describe where you're talking to me from what where are you at the moment
1: yes I'm in my home office sort of second bedroom home office slash cat room
0: mm-hmm
1: which is where I've been working from home for the last two years almost. It's cosy, it's got a desk, it's where the business happens. (laughs) It's where the laptop
0: is. (laughs) And so is this been where you've predominantly done your writing?
1: Yeah, I find that I do work better when I'm at a proper desk. Obviously, it's a laptop, so I can work on my lap if I need to. Yeah. but posture wise you know you're sat still for a long period of time and it's just not great for your back and your neck and everything so it's better if you can to have a desk with a good yeah. chair
0: and uh, for the audience who can't see uh you have a gamer's chair as well so I talking do. about posture <laughs>
1: yeah. you know, I have, like a proper ergonomic thing with like lumbar the, pillow support and <laughs> wow
0: it's a proper business chair For the long writing sessions and so how long have you had this writing setup
1: it's only really been since the pandemic because this room it used to kind of be a guest bedroom slash kind of room and it's only in the last six months that we've arranged the furniture in this way and and got me set up i come back from home all the time before the pandemic i just wrote where i could lap on the sofa type situation
0: (laughs) (laughs) and do you feel it's improved your writing sessions are they longer or do you just feel you're more productive when you are writing now you've got a dedicated space
1: i think i write for about the same amount of time but i definitely feel like my brain is more switched on there's something about the the feeling of sitting at a desk that kind of because i do a nine five there's something about sitting at a desk that tells my brain that it's time to work now so So, uh, it kind of helps me to switch you know from like home brain to work brain.
0: (laughs) yeah have that focus absolutely and when you're coming up with uh, stories initially is that something that can happen anywhere how, how do ideas generally come to you
1: I, I tend to find that walking is something that really makes me start thinking especially if i have like music playing mm-hmm. and consuming other media like watching tv watching films and reading books that tends to be something that if i like a certain aspect then i'll be like oh i'd love to write that but maybe from that or' maybe do that slightly differently, and then that sparks an idea on its own. I don't really yeah. carry a notebook around on me. I'm one of these people that if it's a good idea, I'll remember it.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, um <laughs> guest on season one, Emma Newman was very much the same. she said yeah. that uh, if it's a, a good enough idea, it stays. yeah, I, I guess it filters out the bad ideas if you're if you're not forced to write everything down as it comes.
1: yeah, because uh, not everything works, really. If you get into the habit of writing down everything, it makes you feel. Too indecisive about what to pick, I think. Whereas if you're just like relying on your memory, yeah, the best stuff just sticks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) if it just works. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so with your ideas, does it tend to be a scenario, or do you like characters? Does a character really come to the fore, or maybe just a world or a setting that you'd like to base a story in?
1: I think it's any one of them, really. I've written stories where. I just came up with a world and the world was interesting. I just made up a story to go in the world <laughs> because I just wanted to write about the world. And there's been stories where, you know, I had a particular character that I really wanted to write about because I thought they were fun or interesting. So then you create a, a story to go with them. It, it just varies. It depends what gets your interest, I suppose.
0: And do you find anyone easier or harder as a starting point? Do, do you like fleshing out characters more than world building?
1: I find worlds and stuff like that a lot easier than character just because creating good characters is like a lot harder than you give it credit for mm. <laughs> to have a good character you you basically not got to write yourself but write enough of yourself that you can make a good character do you know what i mean so you've really got to do some work on characterization thinking outside the box in terms of motivation and where they're coming from and stuff is it's quite hard and then if you got like uh, like a long project like a novel you're looking at a cast of like maybe a dozen and and most of them have got to have that kind of level of fleshing out so i find that quite difficult i prefer to just work with the world and piece together new languages and religions and cultures and that kind of thing i like that side of it
0: and do you prefer creating your own religions and cultures or do you like researching existing religions and cultures and incorporating <laughs> elements of those
1: it depends what i'm writing but i don't like research <laughs> okay. <laughs> i find it really just difficult i think so it's easier for me to just yeah i mean i write fantasy so there's going to be real real world influences but you can come up with something and then mix things together i think that's easier for me than having to go in depth on how, how something really works you know
0: yeah. yeah and you're working on your first novel now you've um, you've had <laughs> success with short stories but you're now working on your first novel uh what yeah. was it about the story that you felt this needs to be expanded, did it always feel like a novel or was it just a short story that <laughs> ran away from you and just like, oh, this is this is now 100,000 words?
1: It's interesting because I've had a few years of writing short stories now and I'm finding that I'm quite good at judging how long a short story is going to be and whether the idea has got legs enough to be a novel and I can't really define why but it's just a feeling that you get when you you think of an idea and you think of how many layers it has you think of how many characters you really need to tell the story and you know there's I can't remember where, where I read this advice but it was basically every named character adds a thousand words to a short story so using that as a rough guide nice. um, but then you get some ideas that for some reason you can just see loads and loads of roads that you could do, go down and loads of things that you could explore and then the cast gets bigger and bigger to, to fill that world yeah. and then you think oh right on all <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah so so this story i guess then it, it had uh, a, a larger number of characters than you yeah, traditionally so yeah. quite a cast? Yeah.
1: It is, yeah, because it's it's a portal fantasy, and a character's traveling around in in the fantasy world and meeting lots of different people in in different areas of the world, so every time she goes to a new place, there's someone else <laughs> uh, yeah, you know uh, and they all kind of have their own factions and feuds with each other and things, so yeah, it's a big cast, and they've all got different motivations to work out and that it, it gives me a headache, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. so how long have you been writing uh, this novel for then
1: so i Signed with my agent in 2018, I think. And I was in the early stages at that point. So three years.
2: Okay.
1: I don't know. My math's no. not great. But yeah. yeah, so a while. The last two years have felt very strange. So I don't
2: know yeah. if they count. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, they can be one. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. 2022 now. But it's just... 20, we're still coming to terms with the fact it's 2022. Some people are still thinking it was 2021. Yeah. You know, Well, some people think it's still 2020. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well,
1: i'm thinking of things happening in 2022 and i'm still saying next year so
0: (laughs) yeah no absolutely so yeah it will be the fourth year at some point in the next few
1: months and i think it's uh, this is the fifth draft now that i'm working on but i'm hoping it's the last draft (laughs) it's the last clean pass that i'm doing and i'm i'm putting in i mean for example if i'm drafting and there's a, a bit of information or a character's name or something and i can't think at that point what i need to put in there i'll just put placeholder in brackets yeah. or i'll say right call cool scene here or something <laughs> um so this draft is for me to basically collate all of the drafts into one true draft okay. and fill in those placeholders and make it all nice all right. and neat and tidy
0: okay nice is there a just a couple of placeholders left or are you just looking at your past self going damn it Gemma, stop stop it with the placeholders yeah,
1: yeah there are a few points where i've in a in a Previous draft, and I've just left a note for myself saying, "Oh, uh, work this out later." this person's angry. Why? Yeah. <laughs> they find a and way thing.
0: to escape. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. They they managed to pull off the heist. <laughs> yeah. like this. Like, oh my god, my cat's coming.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Uh, uh, we're having a cameo from Tobin uh, for the audience. Yes.
1: Is- sorry. Yeah, I did actually close the door, but he has worked out how to open doors. Apparently.
0: Okay. He's like I a raptor. Him. Yeah.
1: So he's going to be sort of circling. So that's, that's okay. okay, but sorry, what, what was the question? I feel like I lost my thread a little bit there when I heard the door.
0: Well, actually I think that's the perfect time to ask the question, how do you deal with distractions? <laughs> and,
2: not, uh, not well. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no,
0: and having cats, has there been times when you've been in the middle of a, a writing session where you're really in the zone and then the cat comes in or something and you're like, what was I writing?
1: No, I have to say, I think when I'm in the zone, um, I can usually see the next couple of steps ahead of me. So even if I get distracted and I am easily distracted, I, I will be able to come back to it and think yeah. what the next steps were and I can pick it up okay. from there. And I am quite good as well at when I'm drafting, I will usually be scribbling at the bottom of the page, scribbling typing yeah. at the bottom of the page, what's coming next. Okay. Um, especially if I need to sign off very quickly, deal with something, i usually just tap in, I was going to write this next and then I come okay. off and I'm gonna come back to it i can I can come back to a very garbled strange note,
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that actually sort of links us back to what we were talking about before Toby came in, uh which yeah. was placeholders, and that yes. you, you sort of you're coming into the one true draft to rule them all um, <laughs> now. Yeah. and I want to sort of go back on what you were saying a little earlier about how you hate research, one of the okay. reasons why you want fantasy, but with this portal novel uh sort of portal yeah. sort of uh fantasy, is that between two fantasy worlds, or is that between reality and fantasy? I'm uh, so um, saying this is a leading question for the audience. Yep. I already know the answer, but yep. I just want it's Jennifer very well it. done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm um, such a professional. No.
1: <laughs> so it's historical fantasy, and we're jumping from 1940s blitz mm-hmm. into a magical world that is. Where the, the the magic comes from the town that it's about, also city.
0: Okay. Um, and
1: Neverwhere set during the Blitz, basically, is nice.
0: Pitching That's, it, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, Neverwhere being one of my favourite Neil Gaiman and Neil Gaiman's debut novel. So mm-hmm. as uh, a debut <laughs> novelist, ballsy i like it yeah
1: i know i know (laughs) Um, they they never say in comps like try not to use massive books and and massive successes because you know (laughs) they don't do it but i'm like yeah well (laughs) well i mean
0: yeah i mean neil was quite lazy in setting his in contemporary london uh you've got historical (laughs) steal from you know highly successful people and then make it more difficult for yourself especially in an area that you hate which is (laughs) research that's uh
1: (laughs) Well, at least it's researching time that it's not too long ago. You know, the resources are available there and not having to yes. go to some primary sources. But yeah, it has been an absolute pain, <laughs> So what,
0: I mean, unless it's a plot spoiler, is that, you know, sort of what compelled you to write about the Blitz?
1: It's not really a spoiler. It's just, it's a part of history that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly the city that I'm writing about, I'm not writing about London, because when I started to think portal fantasy, kind of Neverwhere-based London is the obvious one, but then you've mm-hmm. got so many amazing books already that are kind of about uh, the secret worlds of London. Yeah. But there's so many other cities and, and areas of England that got really badly
0: affected in the Blitz and yeah. for
1: certain reasons. So there's stories there that I could tell. So it, it wasn't anything particularly that I, but why I chose the Blitz.
0: Can, can we sort of discuss the location? I, I, I must confess, yep. I feel it's Coventry because that's quite famous in the, the Blitz but I, I don't know. It
1: is. Yeah, no, it is okay. famous, but it is not Coventry.
0: Okay. Um, um, It's Southampton. Okay. Oh.
1: Yeah. Yes, which is where the Spitfires were built. It's where the right. factory was, where they were building Spitfires. Nice. So it was a massive target.
0: Yeah, and on the south coast as well, it definitely would have been... Um, yeah,
1: so anytime they hit Portsmouth, anytime they flew over to get Bristol, they they hit Southampton on the way, so it suffers yeah. quite badly. And it's very local to me, so yes. that felt quite nice.
0: Yeah. So somewhere you could actually walk the streets and mm-hmm. although, you know, a lot of it's changed since then, you can still, yeah. the street layouts probably not change too much. Um, no,
1: the street layouts, it's been really, you know, an interesting experience doing the research actually because I found some really good, um, the ordinance maps and things that show all of the old road layouts and, okay. and, you know, what was there and what schools were there and things like that. And it's really fascinating actually to to see what changed and what got, obliterated because of the blitz
0: yeah and although you hate research what was the most interesting what was the most vital sort of uh resource uh that i'm guessing it wasn't wikipedia <laughs>
1: <laughs> well wikipedia is always a good place to start yeah um but no i was really lucky with what i stumbled upon the thing with research that i find irritating is that it's complete luck whether you know you stumble upon the right information that you need the information could be out there you just if you're bad at it, like I am, you'll just never find it. And then you'll get loads of readers saying, well, you didn't know and they're like, oh, no, no, <laughs> it could be more to look. Um, but no, there was a really good resource that I found That's because it's uh, set during the blitz, I'm having to kind of match up what's happening in the novel with when the actual bombs fell and mm-hmm. when actual areas raids were happening. And, um, and I found a, an amazing digitized diary of uh, a man who was living in Southampton at the time. And he noted the, the dates, but also the times of the air raid sirens going off and then the all clear sounding, so, you know, you've got a record of like on this day, there was an air raid that started at six o'clock in the evening. Mm. The all clear went at two in the morning and these are where the planes were sighted so you know exactly where they were and where they were hitting. Um, I'm not sticking to it like perfectly because I need to serve the story at the end of the Mm. day. I can't, you know, I'm not writing nonfiction. Yeah. But it's an amazing, amazingly helpful piece of information to have, like, if my characters in a certain place at a certain time. I can instantly be like, yes, okay, that was the story and Air actually did happen at that time. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's another way of kind of adding flavor and, and
0: Yeah, like absolutely. And me. I think anyone who has a strong tie to Southampton at that time and maybe remember or has, like, family history of certain things yeah. happening in their family at that time yeah to be able to sort of uh see that reference yeah like you say it's like the flavor uh it's mm-hmm. like really the, adding that extra layer um uh, yeah that just really yeah. helps sells it
1: i think you can always yeah. tell if someone's if there's a writer that's writing about a city or a town you can usually if you're familiar with the city and town you can usually tell whether or not the, the author is as well <laughs> Yeah. yes so at least this way it will kind of seem like I know what
0: I'm talking about yeah the geography the terminology I guess of some local dialect slang as well I think if it's a region of which you live close to absolutely and so with having to do a fair amount of research which you love and (laughs) um, uh, a larger cast than the short stories that you're you're known for how has this affected your note-taking I'm assuming it's evolved from some of the short stories you've written and has it made you uh, more organized and is it all carefully filed away or is it just yeah, a room of chaos <laughs> it's just you yeah, know notes everywhere um,
1: yeah my note taking is erratic <laughs> um <laughs> i've already said that if an idea is good i'll remember it so that yeah. kind of gives you the idea of about half of my note taking um yeah. style it's in my head otherwise it's on post-it and those post-its can be hidden anywhere from inside my diary, being used as a bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of toward the end of the project, I'll start creating all this, the post-its and you know, 80% of them won't really be relevant anymore. But yeah, I found that the fact that a novel is so much more complex and mm. much longer than a short story hasn't really made me any better at planning oh. or <laughs> or noticing or anything. So, Did,
0: did you uh, craft an outline for the novel? Yeah. And was that like beat for beat or was that more of just this is first act this is second act this is third or is it um chapter by chapter i mean how broken Mm -hmm. down was your outline how detailed was it
1: um my outline i do plan you know saying that that my note-taking and planning is mad but i do plan and i do like an outline i like to know the ending before i start so my outline was kind of i settled on a a three-act structure and then that gave me an idea of oh at this point that needs to be a pinch point or that needs to be a, a you know, some sort of interesting twists and then that leads you into the next act. I didn't go so far as breaking it down chapter by chapter, but I think there are certain scenes that come to you first and that you're particularly excited to write. Yeah. Um And it's kind of, you know, you, you think about your, your structure, your three-act structure, you know that there's a scene with that character and that character and they talk about this that you really want to write and you think that will probably be best in the first act. Yeah. And then there's another one that you think probably go in the second act. doesn't always work, yeah um but yeah I do like to have kind of a rough idea of this scene's going to go into that scene because of this and and yeah. that takes me to the end I bear the changes as i as I go it's it's a detailed outline but I have to say the outline that I wrote four years ago is very different to what I'm actually <laughs> writing now
2: <laughs> and
0: so do you find once you've written a detailed out- outline that you write the story chronologically or when there's a scene that you're excited to write you might write that in advance and then it's like joining it up. Do you write scenes out of sequence or do you write it beginning to end once you've done the outline?
1: Um, I have to write beginning to end. I can't write out of order because I find it really difficult to get a handle on the character's motivations and what they would say, why they would say that without the context of what came before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the times that I have tried to do a scene out of order, by the time I come to that scene in the book, what's been established as their behavior and, and this, that and the other that they then wouldn't say what, what I've written <laughs> and they wouldn't act that way. So it kind of gets thrown in the bin anyway. But yeah, no, I have to write chronologically in the order that it appears in the book, because then it feels like I get that momentum. It goes yeah. like reading it at the same time and I get a, a better feeling for pace. Yeah. Um, and like, I know if, if you're writing it out of order, you don't really get a sense that like I was spending too long on this or so that moves too quickly. Whereas I do if I, if I write in order.
0: Yeah. And were you saying before about how the outline that you wrote four years ago versus the fifth draft that you're working on now is very different. Do you find Mm -hmm. that uh, a reason for the change has been the character's motivations and the things that have happened to them throughout the scenes that you've written? Or has it just been better ideas have come to you and you go, oh, actually, I can do that better. And you just rewrite that way.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely the second one that you know, as you're writing, you realize that you've got two characters where actually you could just have one and they do both do the same job, or you originally envisioned a character to act a certain way, but then you realize that's too boring, and so you switch it up, but yeah. then that has a more fun effect on other things. So, yeah, my cat just me have that distracted me. Sorry, <laughs> no, <that's laughs>
0: right. Toby, and just calling out. No, that's yep. fine. <laughs> and once you've got your outline and you're writing in sequence, do you find it quite easy to sit down and churn out the words. some people love the form of writing some people find it an entire chore but yeah. once you've got that all mapped out is it fairly free-flowing is it quite easy to get the words on the page it depends what i'm writing
1: it obviously it all helps that you know where you're going and it's like it's very easy for the outline to say as i sort of mentioned this isn't in my novel but like mm. a heist for example. The outline says like they rob a bank (laughs) Mm. and then you actually sit down and come to it and you're like, how do you rob a bank? (laughs) Mm. You know, and you just hit all these snags and and bumps that you don't really need to go into detail with when you're outlining or if you're planning and getting excited about the scenes. And then you actually get to them and you think, I've actually got to make this fun to read. And, you know, the characters have got to stay in character. And and that's That's right. you just jumped.
2: He just that, that was definitely a, a, a
0: clatter of a falling cat. But, uh, he lives.
2: Yeah,
0: been, he lives. Everyone. He did. He the ran cat now. is he's uninjured. Okay. Oh, he, he's gone. He just made a mess. He just made a, a mess and
2: ran. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So when you've um, got those, yeah, we're taking the example of uh, bank mm-hmm. robbery, and you go, I, "I have no idea. How do you get through the, I guess, inspiration struggle? of not knowing, is it just turning up, just writing a few words, and then sort of seeing how it comes back the next day, or is it going for a long walk and going, I need to fix this problem in in a general way before I can put the words down? Because some people will just slowly type and others will just, I need to reflect and then come back to it.
1: It's, It's a mixture. I mean, getting away, stepping away from it and working it through your subconscious always really helps but sometimes you have just got a brute force it and sometimes mm. you have just got to write a scene that you know is really bad and you know it's really illogical and doesn't really work and you know maybe then after you finish that scene maybe you write the scene again from memory but like maybe putting a new twist on it and then if you do enough iterations of that when you come back to edit it one of those will ring true or yeah. you know will we'll feel right and that you've continued on with, in that vein for you know a bit afterwards because i said i don't like writing out of order so for me to get stuck on a bit i can't jump it <laughs> yeah i can't jump it and pick up later i have to just kind of brute force my way through it which is which is frustrating
0: and do you try and impose any sort of targets on your uh writing sessions do you have like a minimum word count or like a minimum time to sort of sit through a session like you know sort of number of hours per day or per week
1: I mean, I tried to have goals and I think by the end of this week, I would like to, I don't really think in terms of words, but I think in terms of, I'd like to get to this part of the story. Like, you know, if I know that I've got the next four scenes mapped out quite, quite well, if Mm. I say by the end of this week, I'd like to have those four scenes done. Yeah. But yeah, I work full time. So I've just got to take the time where I can. So writing every day definitely isn't really an option for me. And, you know, just got to take the time where you find it really. And sometimes, you know, you have a really good day and you write 2,000 words and sometimes you can really just manage 50 and yeah. you've just got to find a way to be happy with either Yeah. because even, you know, even 50 words, you, you learn something from it, even if it's just, you learn the fact that you're stubborn, that's valuable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I think people associate word count targets so commonly. So for someone who doesn't sort of have them stringently. Uh, when writing the novel, I was just wondering: is it something that you tried in the past and it just didn't work for you, or you felt guilty because you weren't hitting them, or has it just been something that intrinsically you knew just didn't work with your <coughs> writing style?
1: I have sort of tried it in the past. I've, I've done nano which is where hmm. you've got to do the fifty thousand words in a month, which I think is like one thousand six hundred and something words a day um, yeah. that you need to do to hit it. And I, I'm a bit of a, a binge writer. I go for periods where. I don't write an awful lot. I'm kind of reading more and that kind of thing. And then I get a few weeks where I'm writing like 5,000 words a week, Mm -hmm. um, which is quite a lot for me. So I found that I felt easier to measure it in other ways because measuring it in words, especially with something like writing, where words that are constantly getting deleted and rewritten, it it felt like, you know, a really arbitrary measure of how well you're doing and, and whether the, the, story was good you know because you can write as much as you like but if, if it's bad <laughs> yeah then um, you know that's kind of a waste of your time as well
0: yeah i guess when coming from short stories it's never really an issue it's all about just getting the story crafted to the best that it can be told and yeah not really worrying about volume because often you'll write into a strict word limit anyway so did you feel that the writing style that you developed through short stories really benefited when it came to writing a novel?
1: Yeah, in, in some ways, but I think a novel is such a different beast because I think mm. with short stories, you really train yourself to be succinct and you know that you've only got seven words. If you want to talk about the business side of it, you know, if you want to sell it, then it's got to be less than X amount of words and it, it's easier to sell a shorter story. Mm. The longer the stories get, the less markets there are, the the less spots there are for those young stories. Yeah. So, you know, you really learn to, to pare it down Mm. and then you get onto a novel where, you know, you have a hundred thousand or more words to really let it out. And you realize there's been times when I've been writing my novel and I've realized that I've, I'm writing really sparsely and I'm like really coming in under the words that would be right for that chapter length, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: You forget that you've got the (laughs) space to work with when you switch.
0: So it's not trying to write it in the most succinct way. If you if you want to spend mm-hmm, two or yeah. three lines, uh, two or three sentences to describe something, you can. Mm-hmm. Now that you've got your own dedicated space and you're writing your first novel, have you discovered... You have any particular writing rituals? Do you have like a certain time of day that you find the best to write? Do you have to be in like certain comfy clothing? Is there like a lucky totem that you have on your desk uh, or, and do you <laughs> write in silence? Do you, do you write with uh music that's sort of evocative of the scenes you're trying to write? Have, have you noticed any rituals that you've developed while writing a novel? So there are
1: certain things that I know are, are better than, than others. The, the one of them is that i get dressed as if i'm working okay i can't write in my pajamas as much okay. as i would love to <laughs> i know that a lot's been made of like working from home and writers kind of sitting around in their pajamas writing i can't do it um it's that other it's that other thing that i would do to my brain to make it switch into work yeah another thing is i have to have silence i can't have music not even instrumental music i've tried to write with those you know this ambience
0: um, yes, like things, instrumental you know, type music. Yeah.
1: yeah, or like if you say, like, you know, caffeine background noise, you know, I've tried <laughs> okay, to have yeah. that, but eventually, you know, those things have got a loop. And mm. uh, if you listen to it long enough, you start to hear the same sound of the cup hitting the counter. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you're waiting for it. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've got to have, you know, as, as close to silence as I can. Um, I've got to be kind of washed and dressed and, and as if I'm going to work. It's, I wouldn't say that I need it, but I do like to make a cup of tea because I like the ritual of it. It kind of signposts my brain <laughs> yeah. to say like, you're going to go in right now. But apart from that, I don't really have any kind of like lucky totems. I usually yeah. just have a notebook and a pen open and I don't often use it. But again, it feels like the trappings of a writer, mm. if that makes sense. Like I've got yes. my key, I've got my notebook and that kind of puts me in the, the mindset.
0: Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. And with your writing sessions. I was just thinking, because like with the ritual of a cup of tea, is that, do you have like one tea per session or is a a cup of tea a good sort of time for a break? And is there any indicators that sort of mark the times to have a break or to finish a writing session?
1: Yeah, I do kind of hit a bit of a wall. I think two hours is my optimum amount of time that I can spend writing before I need to, to step away. And that usually translates to about a thousand words. So yeah, t- two hours, thousand words, but, you know, whichever one I hit first, I've started to notice that that's when my brain kind of stops working properly and it needs to go away and, and have yeah. some fun, which is, <laughs> um, it's really, you know, I wish I could sit eight hours a day and do it as a, almost a day job hours, but you know, yeah. there are authors who, who make it work like RJ Barker very famously just does a thousand words a day and he does very well with that. Yes, so. <laughs> he does.
0: He does indeed. Yeah. And there's the odd adage that writing is rewriting. But how do you rewrite your work? Do you write complete drafts or do you find yourself reworking individual scenes? And mm. second to that, how do you know when to stop rewriting and when do you go, it's best to leave it now?
2: Mm. I,
1: I will say that one author that I'm absolutely terrified of because of how she edits is Sarah Motts, okay. And she'll write an entire novel draft and she will print it and then she will burn it Wow. She will she will literally burn it and she will delete it and then she will have to rewrite it again from memory. And it's like that thing of if it's good, it sticks. Yeah. So that terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is bold. That is ballsy. I,
1: I know. But yeah, I do kind of like to start fresh. I, I write in Microsoft Word, I don't use Scrivener or anything like that. But I always didn't you know, the first page has always got the, the title, the next one has got the placeholder for dedication, the next one has an epitaph. And I really like to structure the word document as if it's a book. So yeah, if I'm getting to, into a new draft, that is a, a really nice refresher, like a palette cleanser, as it feels like it's starting a, a brand new book and and everything else is forgiven <laughs> what's come yeah. before. But yeah, it depends on what's needed really. Sometimes you do need to completely right from scratch. If you're editing, if you know that nothing you did worked, you do just need to go back to drafting mode, basically. Otherwise it's like I was working on this today. I was editing a little bit today and it's kind of been a, a copy and paste of situation. Like I had the two drafts open side by side and you know, you read ahead on the old draft and think, yes, I want to keep that bit. I don't want to keep that bit, but that, that bit that I do want to keep doesn't go there, it needs to go somewhere else. And then, okay. so you're basically kind of patching something together. And then copying it over to the
0: the new draft. I don't know if that's weird or not. No, no. I mean, that's the whole point. I don't think any two writers write the same way and everyone's got their own methods that work for them. I certainly have heard of people having two drafts open before. Mm. And you've sort of said how you're on your fifth draft now and you've had sort of four drafts. So is it that you've gone through draft one, then draft two with draft one uh, next to it? And then draft three is uh, sort of redoing draft two. And that, that's how you've gone through. And you said as well about placeholders. Have there been certain scenes that it's just been a placeholder from one to two to three to four, and now you're dealing with it with five? Or are, they in- <laughs> <laughs> are there some that you've managed to move around, or are there some that are quite stubborn?
1: There's no particular scenes I can think of, because, you know, by the time I got to the third draft if i was still doing a placeholder for a second scene or bit i'd just be like well i can't think of it (laughs) 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 it's not working but yeah i mean a a couple of the drafts like the the early drafts they were completely rewrite. it's the last two drafts that have been that side by side page on but yeah you were saying like how do you know when to stop rewriting and Mm. it's been really difficult with this one because like when i did the first draft i started it with a point of view i was using omniscient and I just found that I'd been off more than I could chew. And I didn't quite know what to do with that second draft. I was like, okay, I'm more familiar with first person. I've done all right without my short fiction. I will do first person, but the first person is, is so limiting because then you're only in the viewpoint of one character and less than jump around for certain reasons, mm. if you've chosen first person, that's every real reason why you should do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for the next draft, I was like, right, I'll go back to omniscient. so the thing of like, how do you know when to stop rewriting? You don't really, because you're, you're always second guessing yourself. And that's the most frustrating thing is you're always thinking, maybe what I did before was better and I've actually made it worse. So I should go back and do it again. And you know, you do kind of catch yourself on a bit of a loop of that. How do you know when to stop rewriting? You don't want to look at it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You're sick of your own story. (laughs) You're just like, yeah, I think this is fine. This is readable. I think if you can read through it and be okay about it, then that's fine.
0: And once you've got the story the best in isolation that you can do you have any beta readers that you use and rely on for feedback before it goes to an agent or editors and Mm -hmm. if so because i can see you're nodding for the listeners she's nodding um (laughs) and how did those relationships develop to you what's been a good beta reader
1: um yes so i have met some really amazing people made some really good friends through my writing groups which have been live journal all the way back in live journal days square the file and codex which i'm part of at the moment and through those you just kind of naturally make friends and gravitate towards the people that you get on with and and like the same kind of books and styles Mm -hmm. of writing that you do i've been really lucky to have found a couple of people who have had some incredible feedback for my short stories to the point where the, their feedback has literally been what's got them published or mm. it's just helpful to have that kind of other perspective, I suppose, but it's important for me not to have more than three reads okay. on one story, because I find that more than three, you're actually starting to trying to please the readers. You know, you, could, you end up splitting yourself and trying to make everyone happy rather than listening to the feedback and, and sorting out what, what works for you.
0: And the three that you use, are they all published writers? Do you find it good to have people who kind of relate to doing the work and mm. have their own success?
1: There's kind of benefits from having people all over the publishing <laughs> spectrum, if I'm honest. Yeah. It's really useful to have someone who isn't a writer and can just read it as a book, because mm. I think if you're a writer yourself, you're constantly in writing mode when you're reading yeah. you're constantly looking out for craft you're looking at techniques and things like this and that's useful to know that those techniques are working and stuff but sometimes you don't want someone who's aware of those to tell you if yeah. it's fun or not you know you just want to know if it's if it's a fun read mm. and on another level it's really good to have somebody who has published yeah. uh, a book or, or more books and um, can kind of look at it from the business side of it almost can give yeah. you some pointers of it's just on brand where would it sit on the shelf what are the comps which is the comps are what you use in the pitch to say it's, it's this company. meet this someone in the industry the comparisons yeah yes yeah so thank that's what that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so someone who's been through the whole process before is going to be better placed to give you that style of feedback on something than someone who is in the same boat as you and is where you are you know mm. maybe haven't sold a model
0: yeah and just going to wrap up with two questions at the end. It's my belief that writers continue to grow and develop their writing with each story that they write. From all the short stories that you've written, how did they lean into what you're applying to your novel? Is there techniques from when you were unpublished to being published and award-winning published that has helped you transition from short story to, to novelist?
1: I think there's been certain things with short stories because short stories, they tend to cover a small period of time, like a certain event or or day, but there was a short story I wrote called Waterbirds, which takes place over 20 years. Okay. So trying to find a way to move the story along at that pace where yeah. it didn't feel like you were rushing through, I found that quite valuable in writing a novel, which takes place over, you know, a larger period of time because finding the way to transition between certain scenes especially if those scenes are months apart or weeks apart yeah. it can feel really you know obvious if you say a few weeks later blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes. but yeah every story kind of teaches you something different and not necessarily about writing either it just teaches you something a bit different about yourself about how you like to how you like to work and and what you like your voice to sound yeah. like I suppose
0: do you feel that you've learned anything specific that you can think of with what you've written of the novel so far
1: no nothing specific it's just I don't know it's just <laughs> Wait, general, it's I
0: think. yeah 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 <laughs> uh, we'll get that on the next time you're when you're back um, yeah <laughs> and is there one piece of advice you find yourself returning to when you're writing is there one thing that you've either read or got told that really resonates that informs your writing
1: the main one is to read, to be honest, a lot of the time when you say to authors, what's an advice, a lot of them say just to read a lot widely in your genre and outside of it, to learn what you like, to learn what you don't like and why, and just to expose yourself to different subjects and voices and viewpoints and things like that. So yeah, reading, I try to make sure I, I read probably not as much as some people, but I read as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, there's been so many bits of advice over the years. A lot of them are very similar to things like, don't worry too much about the rules. Because when you start out, you're very keen on rules. You're very mm-hmm. keen on no head-hopping. Uh, head-hopping for listeners is where you jump from one character's head to another mid-scene or whatever. Yeah. You just pick up on all these like bad no-nos that you can't do very early on. And it was really valuable for me. To be told like don't worry about that mm. if you head hop who cares like you, everyone's read a book where you head hop and it's fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know as long as it's a good read
2: it's fine yes <laughs> so no yeah, absolutely
0: was, mm. i mean third party omniscient i always think of uh the chronicles of narnia as uh, mm, yeah. a fine example of that and yeah, yeah it's not very fashionable to uh <laughs> write like that but yeah you know it, it can be done it can be done to great success it's just it's not what's really happening in uh, the 2020s at the moment but at you just needs moment. someone to come yeah. and write an incredible piece and uh, something with a whole host of characters that's
2: so <laughs> well researched
0: so uh-huh. well paced and has a <laughs> thrilling bank heist suddenly added in at the last ri- minute for no particular reason
1: <laughs> i'm just going to make it so that there's some jewels they've got to steal yeah
0: <laughs> um I, I can't wait to read it obviously we're the way that traditional publishing works a few years away from it but there's always your short stories to read which are always a joy but Gemma, i just want to say thank you so much for being my guest this week and thank you very much for being on
1: thank you so much for having me tom it's been great
0: and that was the real writing process of gv anderson Now, did I convince any of you that I always think of The Chronicles of Narnia as an example of third-party omniscient narrator? Because I was blatantly talking out of my ass with that. It was something I'd looked up between the non-recorded first interview and the second interview to sound clever. I think I delivered it pretty well, but I haven't read The Chronicles of Narnia since I was eight. I know that there's Turkish Delight and Father Christmas turns up for some reason. That's it, yeah, so... That's all bollocks, but convincing bollocks. I just, yeah, I was proud of my bollocks. So there you go. Anyway, Gemma's great. Read her stuff. Since we've recorded the interview, I have checked up on Gemma's progress, and she still hasn't finished the novel, but she has bought a second cat. So if any of you are worried about procrastinating, don't worry about it. You're fine. Now, Gemma does keep a good list of all of her published work on her website. Some of it you can read online, some are in collections, and there are links to where you can buy or download her stories. She's definitely someone you want to read, and I'll put the link of that page in the show notes. This week's thank you is to Pete Sutton, contributing editor of Far Horizons magazine and a fine writer himself. He has subscribed to the show, not just a one-off payment, so thank you very much. Could his financial support lead to a guest spot interview? Let's hope so. If I can get the rumor out that I'm open to bribes, that could really help me. Uh, No, seriously, he's a great guy. I've known him for years. I'm genuinely trying to get him on the show. So fingers crossed we can sort that out. And it's just really nice that he's also supporting me. So thank you, Pete. That's it. Next week's guest also has a bit of a fun story attached to it, but I'll leave that for next week. And the interview's great. There's wine and buffoonery. Oh, and the music started. I don't know why I started that early. I edit my own show. But thanks all for listening. May you always keep writing until the world ends.
2: Time can never be your trusted friend you sworn and lie. No, it's the harshest mistress of all. And life is just a chain a moment spent, a thousand hellos and goodbyes. Maybe a love like ours. It's called